Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Today, tokenism is a real thing and I know that when I work with brands, it is a sense of that. But if I can have my management put me forth in a way that's like she has a story and she has a message and she is doing something, she's not just like, hi, I wear the hijab. And, just not like yeah, a box to be ticked. Exactly. So, and then- Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. In this In Conversation episode, we are sitting down with Nawal Sari, a creative who is redefining modest fashion. In this episode, we tackle a lot of subjects from how Nawal grew to love clothes so passionately she made it her career, to deciding to wear the hijab in high school and becoming a bit of an accidental big sister to a community of young women. We flew to Sydney to have the chance to sit down with Nawal and we hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as we enjoyed hosting it. Here's Nawal. Nawal, welcome to Shameless. Thanks for having me. We're super excited to be up here in Sydney, your hometown. Did you travel far to get here? We don't know Sydney. I live like an hour away. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. But no, no, but I had a meeting. It was like halfway so it was totally fine okay but i'm always in the city because like everything's here and i live pretty are we we in the city i have i never have any idea where i am at the the best times you're a bit like out of this like this the central part yeah but you're still a city interesting you guys did not turn on the weather for us today yeah it's raining and miserable it was like really hot the past two days so it's kind of gross mind you we need the rain we need the rain we need the rain the first question we always ask is the same and it is what are you reading watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to any other woman listening i've been listening to a podcast for like a while now it's just like easy and lighthearted. it's the receipts podcast i don't know if you guys have heard no okay so it's like these three um women from the uk and they just like 
it's the easiest thing to listen to because it's like they're friends and they're just talking and talking about topics and like you feel like you're kind of there so yeah what do they talk about literally everything they do like a segment where they like have people send in like relationship questions and stuff and they'll answer it and it's just like so funny because they're like I love that yeah it's really like agony aunts but young yeah that's so good yeah it's really funny I need to check that out yeah (laughs) <laughs> what were you like as a kid? We always ask this question and yeah. we launch in because we think it gives a really good insight as to what someone's childhood was like and maybe why they are the person they are now. So do you want to take us through yours? What was your childhood like? Mm, good question. <laughs> My childhood, I would say, was fairly normal, you would say in quotations. I don't know. I feel like for me, I have an older sister, a younger sister, a younger brother, and it was we have a massive like my dad's side's Lebanese so we have a lot of cousins and like it was just it was just a bunch of family barbecues just a bunch of like family trips like it was just a very family orientated childhood like I was literally always with my family but I was very into fashion I thought I was being a fashion designer (laughs) I was thinking I was also going to become a singer can't sing but you know, were you that kid who like made home videos of you doing dance oh contests? God, yes, because that was video, me. Yeah. And I used to like, yeah. I used to get someone to judge who would always pick me. Like my cousin Jackie would always pick me to yeah. be a winner because we had like this little deal going on yeah. that I pick her and she pick me. Those were the best I'm days. Saying, though I have a video of me, and my sister, and I was Sharpay and she was Ryan from Musical. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and we were like dancing to the song. My mom's recording it, and I was like, I look so good right now. And I look back on it, I'm like, oh, it's disgusting. So it, you always ugh. liked the spotlight. I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I feel like I was the middle child at the time before my little brother was born. So I was always just like in my own little world, just doing my own little thing. Like, There's no shame yeah. in being that child. I reckon I was that child of my yeah. family I, as well. I do think it's a middle child thing sometimes. We're like, all middle children. Yeah, I was yeah. too. And you just sort of end up speaking the loudest in order to be heard. Yeah, yeah well, it's yeah. like I'm not the baby and I'm not the first kid that you had. I'm just the one in between. Mm-hmm. So I need to like shout and do like jazz hands in yeah, front exactly. of the camera. Yeah, I know. It was... <laughs> fun times but yeah what was your experience growing up in a Muslim family in Australia yeah for me I didn't even realize like that I was a part of a different community because I was just that's how I've always been like I've always just been around Muslims and non-Muslims because my mum is Australian but she's Muslim but her whole family isn't Muslim so like I've always kind of been in between both worlds and it was just normal to me yeah like Yeah, I went to a non-Muslim school and I went to a Muslim school Then I went to a non-Muslim school and, like, I've always just been – I've always just been literally – my best friend is non-Muslim, my other best friend is Muslim. Like, I've always just been in the middle of both. I think that's my community. Like, we're just – where I'm from, it's like there's both. So, yeah. And did you enjoy that, that idea that you could kind of, you know, go between all of these different worlds? Yeah. You, there was never any issue with, I guess, like identity or anything like that. I definitely had an identity crisis. I still always have an identity crisis because I'm half of two cultures. So it's like trying to find my place. But then I'm also Muslim and like that's not necessarily the majority. So it's I'm always trying to fit in. Some, and I wear the hijab and then some people don't wear the hijab. So mm. it's like I'm constantly in the middle of that. But I feel like now that I'm older, I'm like just embracing it for what it is and um, there's a lot of people who are in my situation so it's like there's also a lot of people that are 21 having identity crises everywhere about like a wealth of different things (laughs) yeah (laughs) literally exactly talk to us about your relationship with fashion you just touched on it before but obviously it's a formative part of Mm -hmm. your life and a formative part of you growing up so what is it about fashion that first drew you in and what do you love about it when I was younger it was just 
how it was glamorized on TV, like the runways and like designing and the pretty dresses. So like that always appealed to me because it was just pretty and, you know, I'm a little girl, so I always loved it. But I never thought as a Muslim woman I could be a part of that because it was always, you know, non-Muslim women or like even before I wore the hijab, I just didn't think I had a place in that because I thought for some reason that how Muslim women are meant to dress is not doesn't fit into that world Mm. so when I put the hijab on and I kind of realized who I was and that I am still creative and I don't have to dress a certain way that's when I was like you know totally experimental and just like trying to show other people that fashion's personal and it's creative and you don't have to stick to a certain way to dress so is it almost like before you were wearing the hijab you developed a belief that once you were wearing it you couldn't dress for fun was that it yeah it it wasn't because I was told that it was because I saw that like back back when I put the hijab on I was 16 a lot of other girls who wore the hijab we didn't have that many places to shop so we all just kind of dressed the same like we wore the same long high low shirts and like skirts and then a tight scarf and it was like we saw our mums dress like that and our aunties and our grandmas so it was like this is this is the norm and then it wasn't until I started to see overseas influences and all that stuff that girls now when I put the hijab on they can be totally creative and expressive which is amazing. I heard in another interview that you did on another podcast I think it was last year that you were detailing your experience when you chose to wear the hijab and mm-hmm. you said you turned up to school and you got your friends to walk you in and that you noticed over the course of the next maybe year that some friends fell away. Yeah. If you feel comfortable are you able to take us back to that? and and how you felt about that time yeah so I was at that school since year seven so I've I was there the whole time but there was only like maybe one or two other girls in the whole school who wore the hijab and I'm from a fairly multicultural area but there are obviously are more multicultural areas so yeah but um I have always been outspoken and like I love talking about my culture and my religion like I've always just loved it and my friends and that loved hearing about it so I was always just that person and I would always like come to school with like different like um political issues to talk about Mm -hmm. and I'm like this is happening overseas did you guys know about it like talk about it in class with my history teachers like I was just always that person so and I always dressed modestly as well like I knew that just because I don't wear the hijab I still kind of have to dress modestly it's part of you know who I am my family everything so to put the hijab on for me wasn't that big of a deal. It was kind of like just the next step after. Mm. And all the women in my family wear it. So it's kind of like when you're younger, you're like, I want to look like my mom and my aunties. It's Yeah. So Were you I was, excited then? To- I was really excited. Yeah. yeah. So we had Ramadan, which is when we fast. And we had a two-week break. And I was like to my mom, I'm going to put the hijab on. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, it's up to you. Like, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to. Because I wanted to put it on when I was really young. My mom's like, you're not putting it on. You just want to copy the people yeah, around exactly. you, right? Yeah. And my mom's like, you're not putting it on. Like, you're you're just going to take it off the next day. Just don't wear it. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like seven at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I told my mom and then I told my dad and he's like, you don't have to wear it. Like, it's up to you. Like, I don't want you to feel like you have to. And I was like, no, I'm ready. Like, I totally want to do it. So I went, back, I went back to school and I had my friend, like I remember messaging my friends like, how do you guys feel if I wore the hijab? But then after I was like, why does it matter how they feel? But I just really needed that validation. And I went back to school and I had my friends walk me in and the friends I was with at the time like stuck with me. But a lot of the people in school thought I was a new girl who came back after the break. It was so funny. And they came up to me and they were like, wait, I thought you were Italian. I'm like, that doesn't mean I can't be Muslim, but I'm not even Italian. Like, oh, okay. it was but so let's funny. like not go there yeah, for now. Exactly. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember this one There are guy. a lot of layers to unpick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember this guy came up to me and he was like, 
I thought your dad, I thought that this means now that you're going to get married in Lebanon. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, the, what we spoke about last week still applies to now. Like, I'm the same person. It was so funny. I went back to, I remember my science class and I had these two guy friends and they kind of just looked at me and they went, okay. And I was like, yep. They're like, cool. And then every time, like, I'd have, like, you know, I need to fix my scarf or something. And they'd be like, oh, you need to fix there or there. And like, they're the sweetest guys ever. But, yeah, it took people a while to adjust. But at first, people were kind of really hesitant to talk to me because they thought that when you put the hijab on, you're becoming, like, really isolated and, like, you're changing as a person. But I was the exact same. I just decided to, like, cover you know, from my elbow onwards and my hair. So it was like there was literally no difference. Isn't that so interesting that people place so much change on – and I'm sure there is a change for you. As you said, it was like the next step. But they think that you become an entirely different person because you choose to wear – Yeah, it's like when you don't wear the hijab, it's like you're kind of relaxed. And then when you do wear it, it's like you're you're religious now. And I was like, no, I was the same before. Like, (laughs) Did you find it irritating or was it just surprising? The thing is when I was in high school, I was kind of ahead of like I knew what was coming and I knew – that there was a life outside of school like I just always had that mentality so I was like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna face some comments and it is what it is but I'd rather educate than them to just keep things in their head. Were you asked to ever explain it a lot and did that explanation process get tiring? Yeah I feel like a lot of them like so why did you do it and I was just like because you know as a Muslim woman you know you want to take the next step and you know be more modest to show respect to God and like Mm. feel a closer connection to your religion and all that and they're like so you weren't forced to wear it and I was like no like <laughs> I can imagine that part fun. would be I can imagine that would be frustrating yeah it was but that would we were 16 so I knew like I would rather teach this kid now than him leave school and see a Muslim woman and think she's oppressed or something so I was like I'll take that responsibility and talk about it mm-hmm. and they were friends so yeah what I found really interesting before is when you said I used to go to school and get so excited and talk about issues and, and mm. my religion and I feel like we don't hear a lot of young people particularly particularly Gen Z or millennials, talk about religion publicly. Can you speak a little bit about your religion and what it does mean to you and what excites you most when you talk about it? So I'm Muslim. (laughs) But for me, I just love talking in high school about like, so I'd meet guys and they'd have no idea about my religion. I'd be like, so as a Muslim woman, I did this and this. And like, if you see me leave at lunch, it's because I'm going to go pray. And when I pray, we pray five times a day. And, you know, I have to like wash before I do that. So if you see my hand in the sink, it's because I'm like, you know, just doing some ablation. Like, it's just how it is. And like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was so funny. But for me, it's just my connection with my religion has just been like, it helps me like every single day. It's not something I just switch on. Like it's constantly in my mind and it helps me, you know, when I, when someone says something to me and I'm like, how how should I respond? How should I carry myself? How should I, you know, portray myself? And it's, yeah, it's constantly in my head. So it's not, it's not something I just switch on. It's like, it's a part of me. Coming up after the break, the intersection between social media and mental health. But first, a word from today's wonderful sponsor. When you were 18 and you left school, you were looking on Instagram for different outfit inspirations Mm -hmm. and you didn't really see anyone that was wearing similar things to you. Can you speak about that experience? I know you touched on it, but what it's like, how you found inspiration when you couldn't really see any outfits that you could necessarily emulate? Yeah. So for me, I've always been, I've always been the kind of person who look at an outfit and be like, I can still wear that. Like I'd never thought because they don't wear the hijab that 
I couldn't wear it. Like I always just thought, oh, I'll take that inspo and just add it to mine. So I've always just been like that. So when I would look on Instagram, I used to see a few girls in the UK or America, for example, and who wore the hijab, but they didn't wear it like I did because a lot of women wear the hijab in a different way. So I wanted, I didn't see anyone who wore it like I did or had the access, you know, to the budget I did or anything like that. But looking at women who didn't wear the hijab, I still, till now, like I love the outfits and I'm like, I love how she styled that. I'll still apply it to me. And because fashion's so versatile, it's like, there's no like, I only look at Muslim fashion. Like that's not even a thing. So it's like fashion's fun and creative and I've always just adapted different things from different trends and everything else. Did you want to be that point of difference? Yeah. So for me, when I left school, I was doing international studies and I wanted to get into like foreign policy and like all these things. And then I realized that I am a creative person. I didn't realize I was. Like, it was something that like, kind of came over me. And I was like, I'm creative. Like, I always thought I was just <laughs> a book smart person. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, let me add communications and see how I like that. Because it's like, you know, the hot thing right now. Maybe I'll like it. It's um, the hot thing Yeah. Right now. It's, everyone's doing it. I'm like, maybe it'll apply to me. Um, maybe I'll start a blog. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so I was like, let me get into that. Yeah. So I started that. And I was like, I really like how this course is going and at that time I was also just starting my Instagram page where I just went on public and I was doing a photo shoot for like this local brand and like I didn't think anything big would come out of it it was kind of just like you know if it does work out it does because I'm studying it and it kind of connects and it'd be a bonus but I never thought I'd make impact so for me I was like if I can make a platform where young Aussie Muslim girls can look at me and feel like I'm filling a void they never had. And that's amazing because I never had that as well. And to think that I can talk on topics they're really passionate about and I can spread it with my platform for like Muslim girls or non-Muslim girls to be like, oh, this is happening. Or, you know, to look at a Muslim girl and not allow her to feel alienated or anything like that, an impact would just be amazing. And then somehow it just went bigger and it's growing and it's crazy. <laughs> Talk to us about that audience size because what is your following at the moment? It's over 100,000 people. And it just hit 121,000. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> was, was there a moment where you were kind of like, wow, this is maybe going to be a job. This is yeah. growing really big. Was there a moment or a day that you had where you're like, this is something, like I've created mm-hmm. something that's working? Yeah. I Honestly, it didn't hit me until like halfway through last year. Because, like, I, for so long, I was doing, like, three jobs, two jobs, like, retail. I was, like, this is something that's fun. It's my side thing, but it's – I don't know if I'll ever be able to take it that far. And I was still doing uni, so I was, like, you know, maybe in the future. And then I had some emails from management and everything like that, and I was, like, I don't know how I feel because it's a lot to think that someone else is going to sell you and your message, and it's, like, it's very personal to me, and I'm representing a lot of women, and I don't want to mess it up. So it took me a while to find a management I liked, and then from there they were, like, you have this potential and we're going to help you, you know, not work retail and all this. And I was, like, seriously? Like, I didn't I didn't think, <laughs> like – retail's the worst. Yeah. It's, oh, my God, it's so dreadful, but – yeah, so I was like, okay, well, let's try it out. And then quickly after that, I quit. I was working at H&M <laughs> and I quit because I hated it so much. Oh, my God. I quit right before the Christmas period because I was like, I'm not doing that. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put everything into this and see how it goes because at the end of the day, I'm still studying. So I have that balance of this could benefit me and I also have something to fall back on. Totally. So, yeah. Take us through when you were looking for management, take us through, I guess, the criteria that you took to them because yeah. I, it is important to you and it is so wrapped up with your life and yeah. your religion. So 
what did you go to them with? Because it's important for influencers or anyone on Instagram to kind mm-hmm. of have their list. What yeah. was on yours? Mine was to be able to, for one, just put into a contract everything that I don't want to do and I won't do and I won't compromise for myself and to be able to know that they're not just going to – I mean, at the end of the day, tokenism is a real thing and I know that when I work with brands, it is a sense of that. But if I can have my management – put me forth in a way that's like she has a story and she has a message and she is doing something she's not just like hi i wear the hijab and just not like yeah, a box to be ticked exactly so yeah. and they've they're very open to that which is amazing and yeah so even when i do photo shoots and stuff they're like you know noelle needs to make sure that she has her own little changing room like she can't just get changed in like the middle of nowhere like she needs her privacy and hijabs need to be on set and all these kind of things so yeah, for me, it was just making sure I work with a team that's really respectful of everything I do and I don't feel like I'm going to change in a certain way. Yeah. When it comes to tokenism, is there a way that you're able to kind of weed out the jobs that you can tell are sort of mm. less genuine than others or not? Usually when – it's hard to – it's honestly hard to tell because it's like do you like what I'm doing or do you like my hijab? And I've kind of just changed my mindset where I'm like if I can book jobs that are – crazy to me and that's like that's insane that I get to work with you then I'm gonna do that knowing that other girls can come forth after me and it's not going to be a sense of tokenism for them it's going to be because they do amazing things and they're an amazing person so if I am able to you know take that tokenism and help other people later then yeah that'll be amazing do you see tokenism as a step in the right direction or do you think it's just there's no positives to be taken from it. I think that without having tokens in their campaigns and stuff, it's like then who's going to do it? You know what I mean? It does suck sometimes because you're like, ugh, like I know I know why you're doing this. But to think that a young girl's going to see it and be like, oh, my God, I just saw a hijabi like in Supre, for example. Like I've shopped there since I was little. That's insane. I can do that. It's like, well, I'm doing what I wanted to do and Mm. you're doing what you wanted to do. So, Mm. yeah. You seem incredibly confident and self-assured, which is brilliant because I think lots of young women would look up to those qualities in you. Where does that come from? Is that instilled in you by your parents? Um, What makes you so confident? I think that for me it's one, yeah, sure, my parents, they humble me as much as I need it. Like my parents aren't – my parents are the kind of parents who are like, you're doing amazing, sweet, everything you're doing, perfect. They're not a Christian. Yeah, they're kind of just like, you should fix that or don't do that again. Like they're just – they're like that. And my friends are exactly the same. I have a lot of people around me to humble me and keep me going. So I think that they've kind of instilled that in me to be like, you're doing amazing things, just keep going. Mm. And also being a Muslim woman on this platform, being from Australia, it's like I need that confidence because if not, then the young girls, they're still not going to have someone to to speak for them. So it's like – and I've had people message me. It's helped keep me going. Like girls message me and be like, oh, because of you, I put the hijab on and I feel like I can still be myself with it and the hijab's not wearing me. I'm wearing the hijab. And it's like to feel that, it's like I'm doing something. So it kind of keeps me going. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the term influencer because I think so many people – it sounds like the most basic conversation in like 2020, right? <laughs> it's like do you hate the term? Do you love the term? But in every interview that I've heard you talk about that term, you seem to really embrace it and really, really like it. Yeah. I'm not the kind of person to see and be like, I don't like being called an influencer. Like, ugh. But honestly, I'm I'm influencing. So it's like <laughs> I guess – 
it is what it is. Like, yeah. And I think there's so much more accountability that comes with that. Yeah. Like you want to do the right thing because you know by default of your job title that you're influencing exactly. young people. Yeah. And for me, it's not just like I'm showing fashion and it's materialistic. I'm trying to influence. So it's like I take on that and I also take on a content creator. I'm creating content. It's like I'm a creative. I'm creative. Like I take on it all because I'm like I am doing that and I'm not going to make that a bad thing. <laughs> I think the only reason that – the term influencer was bastardized was because so many people are using their platforms for evil, not good. Or evil might be a bit hyperbolic, <laughs> but like they're using it for diet teas and I get it, yeah. yeah. Bullshit hair supplements and stuff. Yeah. So even that, like when people say, Oh, but I'm a content creator, it's like, yeah, you're that, but you have to take accountability for mm-hmm. the group of people that you're influencing every single day. Yeah. What do you love about what you do? Oh, I feel like it's I feel like every person on Instagram says, but honestly, the connection with my followers is like, it feels like a sisterhood. It's mm-hmm. not just they're my fans. I've never said that. Like, it's like they're my sisters. Like, I reply to every DM. I reply to every comment. I try to, they'll message me outfit advice for their events the next week and I'm trying to help them. Or, that's good. Yeah. So it's like, for me, it's, I feel a lot, I feel like I'm making an impact and that's the best thing ever. Like, was it like two days ago? I, I woke up and I had like, I was tagged in all these TikToks of like these young girls trying out my like bandana style and commenting on like how I've helped change them. And I literally started crying because I was like, I this is the first point where I'm like, I've actually made impact. Like it it hit me and I was like crying like a baby. And everyone was like, can you chill out? Like, we know you've done this. I'm like, to hear someone say it, I was like, that's insane to me. Because for a long time it was like, I thought they felt like that. But for them to say it, it was like, yeah, next level. What's super obvious to me through this conversation is like the intense responsibility you feel with the mm-hmm. platform that you have and the following that you have. Yeah. Does that ever get tiring? Like I know when you're young and when did you start your Instagram? When you were 19? 19, yeah. Yeah. Was there any initial fear about putting yourself out there? Because it can kind of – there can be a lot of embarrassment about putting yourself out there and then once you do that and you have a following, there's a huge responsibility. Yeah, did you course. feel embarrassed and now do you ever feel exhausted or terrified by what you've built? Mm, I feel like – as it gets bigger, I'm way more conscious of everything I do. But at the end of the day, I am still a very private person. Like I choose what I put out there. So there's a lot of people who probably think I'm like, oh, putting everything online. But it's like, I am actually not. There's a lot you don't know that you don't need to know. So there's, there's that aspect. But also, yeah, I feel like I take on the responsibility because the feedback is mainly positive. And it's like, I'm happy to do what I do and I am very authentic and organic online so it's not like I'm putting on a front that I have to keep up it's just me and everything I do I I actually do it and if I don't work with a brand it's because I don't like your stuff like I just wouldn't wear it and my followers know that I don't like it so it's like I can't fake anything Mm. so it's not that hard to just keep being me because I am just being organic yeah I heard you talk about your campaign with Nike Women and that Mm -hmm. you touched on that you had found in your experience that UK and US kind of brands are mm-hmm. a little bit more progressive or a little bit more open to Muslim representation mm-hmm. than Australian brands. Do you yeah. still feel that? Like are we as far behind as perhaps we think we are? I think that there's a lot of room for progression in that sense because in America, like even before I started, I would see hijabis on campaigns in store and I'd be like, that's insane. Like, And I'd go overseas and be like, oh, my God, there's a hijabi. Like, that is insane. And here it's like I'm the one hustling to get that done because it's, it's a mix of there isn't a lot of influencers doing it plus they're not looking for it. Mm. So it's like it's, it's like a chicken or the mix. egg scenario. Exactly. Whereas in the U.S. there's so many hijabi influencers because they feel like they can be in that space. And they feel like they have the accessibility to different 
clothing styles and whatever they want to do. Whereas I feel like in Australia, they're kind of, for so long, they were like, as a Muslim woman, I'm just going to stick to my side. And it's like, no, like, yeah. So I feel like it's a mix of both, but Mm. there's a lot of room, like a lot of brands, Muslim women, hijabi women love these brands and they haven't put Muslim women involved in anything they do. So it's like, yeah. It's really interesting because for how multicultural we are as a country, there is such a strong archetype of what the Aussie girl looks like. Do you think that's a contributing factor that often these brands just look for the blonde beachy girls and they really don't think to represent the average Australian woman? Yeah, I mean, I still see that. Like I'll see brands who just have that typical like Bondi, you know, like that, like blonde Which no one really looks like. Right? (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, I still see that. But yeah, like all the Muslim women I know, we're so diverse. We come from different places. Like it's a religion. You're not from one place. Like we're all spread. My mom's white Australian. I'm mixed. I have Somalian friends. I have Persian friends. Like we're very diverse. So it's like, there's a lot of women you could use and there's a lot of different kind of different body shapes. Like even for me, like I am a Muslim woman and yes, I wear the hijab. So I am new to this and I'm a bit different, but it's like, but then compared to my community, I am a majority. Like I am, Arab, I have white skin and I wear the hijab, whereas, and I have like, you know, size 8 to 10 to 12, whereas there's women who come from different cultures and they look different, they have different body sizes, and it's like they also deserve that representation because I can't, I can't appeal to everyone. Hello, friends. Mish and Zara just popping in here to interrupt your regular listening with a very, very, very exciting announcement. There is just one more day until Love Etc. launches our dating and relationships podcast with Bumble Australia and it is a second season this time, Mish. What better day to launch than Valentine's Day? Absolutely. We are so excited for this one and so excited for Valentine's Day too. We are going to be a little bit raunchier this time around. So in season two, you'll be hearing from a sugar baby, a swinger, a sex worker and some women who are secretly sleeping with someone when they really, really should not be. We've got episodes for the emotional side of you too. Don't worry, we'll be talking to a woman who's still a virgin deep into her 20s and tackle some serious stories like coming out as gay to your fiance and the ugly contours of emotional abuse. To keep up to date with every new episode, search for Love Etc. That's Love E-T-C in your favourite podcast app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please click subscribe. If you're on Spotify, just click follow. We cannot wait for the next 12 weeks. Now back to Nawal. I want to talk to you about mental health and social media because Mm -hmm. I noticed when I was going through your feed, you've done a few posts over the last 12 months in particular about anxiety and about how you have often needed to step away from your work entirely for patches of time just to recalibrate. Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting. I want to talk to you about it. What do you think it is about social media that can contribute to your anxiety? I think for me it's because I struggle to switch off because even before I go to bed, I'm like scrolling through my feed and it's just, and to me, I'm like, I'm not working, but really I am because I'm still keeping up to date with everything and replying to comments. So for me, it was like, I don't switch off or it's like, I used to put myself on this mindset of like, I'm for some reason I'm in competition or I'm, I'm chasing for something, but I'm not like, it's just, you got to go with the flow. But I felt like I needed to be somewhere that didn't make sense. Like mm. it was just in my head. So for me, it was like, I'm trying to be, one, a sister to my siblings and, you know, a good daughter, but then also trying to have my social life 
and I'm a uni student, which is a stress in itself. <laughs> I was trying to work. So in, and then I was trying to maintain my online presence and be the best I could be and, you know, really hustle hard in that because I, I found it so fun. So it was like balancing all of that just gave me so much anxiety. And um, yeah, and I remember when, when the Christchurch shooting happened and that was like so sad, I literally had to get off social media for like a few days because I was like, this is way too much to think that that's like me. And I'm, I could have been there and it's like now I'm just posting makeup and fashion and I just felt like it just didn't feel right. So situations like that happen and I feel like I have to detach myself and come back and, you know, refresh things. So, yeah, it's it's a mix of a lot of things, like things have happened or I'm just a student and I need to chill out <laughs> or like I've been way too involved in my family and I'm just like trying to hang out with them or I'm just really anxious because sometimes it comes and you don't know why it's there and you're just having anxiety and you're like, why am I so anxious right now? Sometimes I'm convinced it's purely hormonal because I have anxiety. I've got generalized anxiety disorder. And half the time I'm like, this just must, I'm just penciling this down to hormones. There is no reason why I should be this anxious. There are some days I have a coffee and I'm like, yeah, I feel fine. (laughs) And some days I have coffee and I'm like sitting there before an event. I'm I'm shaking right now. Like, why do I feel like something's going to happen to me? (laughs) And I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, do I have social anxiety? And I'm like, but when I get there, I'm fine. And it's like, how does it yeah. manifest? Is it panic attacks or is it just this feeling of dread? What is it for you? It's a feeling of, I think for me, it's more so like I'm going to cry. No one's saying anything to me. I'm going to cry right now. Something's going to happen to me and I'm like, I need someone, I need to talk to someone to be like, am I going to be fine? Mm-hmm. Like I need that reassurance. And then a lot of the times I don't know how to direct my anxiety. So I'm just angry and then I don't want to talk to anyone, but then I need someone to help me. And it's like this constant thing. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's, I haven't had a, a panic attack where I've like really been overwhelmed in a while because I am trying to like calm myself down this year but mm. I've already been really anxious and it's like only February so Same. Well, don't worry, I think so. that's quite a, a common sentiment right? but I'm interested if by moving your sort of social media job into one that almost became full-time did that exacerbate your anxiety because you're spending so much more time on social media and yeah. those two kind of things were very interlinked yeah for me it was because I thought working hard in my head was going to work and then when I had to adjust to I am kind of working even though I'm on my laptop in my room, I was like, I'm not working hard. I need to work harder. And I'd push myself. I'm like, you need to go out. Even if I don't know where I'm going, I'm like, you need to go out to feel like I'm working. I needed to get out of the house. So it was like this constant thing, um, especially when I quit my job. I was like, did I make the right decision? And it traditionally in my family, it's like you have a job, you go to work. So it was like no one really had that freelance job so I can look at them and be like how am I doing okay yeah. like there's no rule book for any yeah. of this and like I know we're not in the exact same job but it's like a similar industry where it's yeah. kind of like you're all just freaking making it up as you go literally and there's yeah. no HR manager to report into exactly. it's just so, you yeah so it's like that was really hard for me to adjust to and like when you get like invoices in and it's not regular and I've been I've been used to like regular pay since I was like 16 oh my gosh. every fortnight or week so I was like this am I and I'm, and I'm young, so I'm like, shouldn't I be working really hard now? And I'm like, mm. am I working really hard? It was like a weird thing. How do you consider like the longevity of the industry, particularly a career built on Instagram? Is that why you're so committed to finishing uni and making sure that that's a priority too? Because yeah. you're just not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure, but I'm also like, I'm not trying to, I mean, of course, I, it'd be amazing to be able to like keep this going forever. I'm, I love what I do. And that's obviously a goal. But for me, it's like I've always wanted to graduate from uni and be like, you know, my sister hasn't graduated yet. And it's like, I probably would be like one of the first kids in the family. So it's like, it'd be really exciting for me. So yeah, it's like, I'm not trying to just drop everything and be like, I am now an Instagram person. Like, cause I don't know the security of it. And I, I'm, 
an anxious person, I need security. So it's like, I just have uni and I'm going to keep that going. And when I graduate, I know that worst case scenario, if things don't work, which God forbid, I hope it does work. If it doesn't work, I can just be like, well, I still have my degree and I have my experience, so I'm fine. And it's a very helpful degree to fall back on. Exactly, The skills are needed. I'm curious, when you don't have a lot of control over your work and Instagram does something out of the blue, like removes likes from Mm -hmm. the platform, did that stress you out? How did you feel? I liked that. Interesting. I don't know. It was like one of the few. I don't know. I felt a massive relief. I can post whatever I want and I don't feel like people are going to be like, well, that didn't get that much likes. Like, I just felt like I can post what I want. I can be creative and the likes are up to me and I don't care because no one's going to see it anyway. Like, it's just me. So now I feel like since that happened, I've been a lot more like, this is pretty. I'm going to post it. Or like, this view is nice. I'm going to post it because usually those posts don't do that well Mm. and I felt like it would look bad on me like my stats would go down and now I'm like I don't care no one's gonna tell (laughs) what do you want most from your career like when you think about your career and picture Mm. it what do you see I just want to be able to make a difference in the industry and help other young Muslim women to feel like they have a connection to someone and they can look up to someone and you know, grow into what they want to be because a lot of Muslim women still feel like some spaces aren't for them Mm. and it's like so not true. Like you can do anything you want to do. So to make that impact would be amazing. But then I also like love entrepreneurial stuff. So like, oh, I want to, I'm doing a collection soon with a brand and I'm like, if that does well, maybe I should do my own thing or like be that fashion designer you always wanted to be. You know, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) Just drop it on the podcast now. Yeah. yeah, And it's like those kind of things I'm like, oh, okay, I should actually consider what I want to do after this because for so long I was like, I'm going to be working in an office. And now I'm like, wait, maybe like, you know, I don't know, maybe I want to do my own podcast one day. Who knows? Like Please all do. these things, yeah. Now I'm really like thinking about it. I'm like, what do I want for myself? Yeah. It's kind of good because the possibilities are really endless with mm. this type of job. Yeah. When someone comes to your profile or sees your content, what do you want them to feel when they leave? To feel like they have a sense of relatability and to not think that I'm like, you know, I've seen a lot of influencers who have looked at them and be like, oh, you're like untouchable. You're so cool. And it's like, I want people to look at me and be like, oh, she's, I can kind of do what she's doing too. And like, you know, nothing's really stopping her and she's doing what she does and it's authentic. So that would be amazing. And to have, it's not just about Muslim girls. Like I want women to just look at me and be like, you can do anything you want to do. Like, why not just do it? And it's also think that m- women can look at, at a hijabi and a Muslim woman and be like, oh, they're not all like how I see it online or in the media. It's like... Well, the Daily Mail. Exactly. Mm. The Daily Mail. <laughs> to be able to think that like, oh, they're, they're normal and I'm not going to freak out when I see one. You know what I mean? So it's like there's a lot of different angles of like what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to impact people. So it's like, as long as it's a positive thing, I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) What's next for you? You've mentioned this collaboration you're doing a couple of times. Talk us through that and what you're excited about for the next few months. So the collaboration is with the brand. I, they, um, I started working with them when I finished high school. I just like, did a few shifts with them at this store. They're a modest fashion brand from Australia called Hijab House. I've known the team for a long time and they were like, you know what? We've never collaborated with an influencer. Like, let's make a collection. And I was like, that's insane. Okay, let's do it. And we were we were in Melbourne Fashion Week and we did the modest segment and we were did out we launched everything there and that was so amazing. So we're eventually gonna launch all that stuff. We're trying to perfect everything, which is really cool. And then yeah, this year I'm just trying to really put myself out there because last year I was doing so much that I couldn't fully invest in it. And this year I'm like, I just want to try and see 
how it goes and do everything and travel and, you know, spend time with my family as much as I can and, you know, just hustle really hard as much as I can with uni. (laughs) Going back to your collection just for a second. Yeah. When it comes to selecting your pieces, what do you look for? What are your like tips for anyone listening? Don't think anything's not for you because that's a lot of people think, oh, that's not for me. It's like, well, have you tried it? Like, you don't know. So um, there's a lot of stuff in there that I just tweaked a little bit to be more modest because I don't want people to think that it's inaccessible for them. Like you can wear anything from the collection. We've made sure it suits all body types. I'm all for that. And there's hijabs, there's bandanas for girls who don't wear the hijab if you want to just style a bandana or all the outfits are for both women it's for everyone really so it's not like it's i've targeted for a specific group it's literally for everyone and i'm all for that so yeah how exciting yeah with all of this in mind the last question we always ask is Mm -hmm. what is success to you success to me is honestly feel content with myself because i feel like for so long i was just like i need to do better i need to do better i need to do better and once i feel content with myself like the other day when i saw like those girls post amazing things about me i was like I feel so good. So to me, it's to feel content in every aspect of my life, to feel like I did uni well, my friends are really happy with me, my family are really proud of me and happy with me because, like, obviously your family's validation means a lot to you. Yeah, and to think that I've impacted other people, that just means the most to me. Yeah. You have been such a delight. Thank you you. so, so much for coming on this episode with us. No, you've made the time for us and obviously we are so, so grateful. So thank you. I think I've learned a lot from this episode and I can't wait to see your collection. I know, I'm really excited. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode with Nawal Sari. For more from Nawal, follow her on Instagram at Nawal Sari. Pretty simple. If you enjoyed this interview, we have some others to recommend you listen to. Also, if you go back through your feed or if you go to your show notes, you'll find links to some interviews we did with beauty influencers Rowie Singh and Jade Tunk Daruk in 2019. We loved hearing all their thoughts about the industry and I think it's a really nice natural extension from what we touched on in this interview today. As I said, those episodes will be in the show notes. Please go listen to them if you're procrastinating at work right now like I am. As for us, you will find Zara and I sharing all of our updates from Shameless HQ along with some rather amateurish memes on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. To continue the conversation, we also have a Facebook group where we post episode threads. So if you want to talk about something that you heard in today's episode, please come onto that thread. Tell us your thoughts. We would love to hear them. You will find us by searching Shameless Podcast Community. Thank you so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Monday. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.